Our text this morning is going to come from John chapter 14. And uh, let's hear the word of the Lord together as we remain standing and prepare to receive it this morning. Verse 4. And you know the way where I'm going, Jesus said. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still not, do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And who have, how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Well, church, we are going to continue to plow through our study in John. Um, but, there's a, but it's actually a really kind providence in the Lord that this text fits really well with some other things I was hoping to be able to do these first couple weeks of 2022. And, uh, and you'll, you'll see what that means here in just, just a moment. Um, because at the end of the day, what we're going to discuss this morning from this text is the surety of our confession, the surety of our confession, the, and how we recover that and remain steadfast in our confession as a church. And that's highly critical. It's really critical to, to, to Grace Church both today, but also where we hope to go from today. Um, today marks six years since our first Sunday morning gathering. And uh, there are a handful of us in here this morning that were here that day. And we were in that little library at, at uh, Lancaster Christian Academy. And we were moving big conference tables to make space for our, for our worship set up. We were putting in wood slat. Well, it was a whole weird thing. Um, but uh, it was, you know, we had about 35 or so people, 40 people, I think, that first Sunday. Um, and it was great times. It was, it was just one of those things where you didn't know where God was going to go with it. You didn't know how he was going to sustain it. I had all kinds of fears during those days, but I think through God's grace and providences over the last six years, and we can see that he is, he is steadfast committed to his church. He is going to build his church, where his church is faithful to keep their confession sure, where the church is faithful to remain focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of that truth. Um, we can be steadfast in that. And so when I say that God's kindness gives us this text for this particular day, is because I had intended for today and next week to kind of spend a couple of weeks just really talking about state of the church, regrounding our confession, uh, and talk about a few points as we lead into next Sunday night's members meeting, potluck, and whatnot. Let me say a couple of things about the potluck next week. One is, all are welcome to come. If you're a member, if you're a regular attender, you're welcome to come. In fact, we encourage you to come, enjoy a meal with us, get to know people, because that's really how we do life here, is just to really spend time enjoying time together. You're certainly welcome to even come to the members meeting. Um, at, at, I think it'll start around, usually we'll eat for about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, and then we'll start a members meeting, and we're usually done no later than 7.30 on those nights. 
Um, but next week's going to be one, members, you don't want to miss, because we're going to be talking a lot about some things that the elders have been praying through and discussing that we think are really helpful for us as we look forward, in not only to 2022, but also to think about the next four, five, six, seven years down the road, and we want to just go ahead and just kind of begin to kind of lay some of those things out before you and begin to share with you kind of what some steps we hope to make in 2022 to help move us forward over the next five to six years or seven years at least, okay? So again, you're, you're welcome to be here. If you're a member, you can even, again, if you're not a member, you can still come and see what goes on. You can hear about it, especially if you've been regularly attending. If you've been regularly attending and you're interested in moving forward or finding out more about membership on the 16th of January, we will start our next new members and foundations course that'll be during our sunday morning bible study hour at nine o'clock we'll meet down the hallway you can check your kids into their classes and we will spend some time and it's about a three-week process sometimes four weeks depending on people's availability and we'll unpack what our church is all about during that time so there's a lot going on in this month of january and i just want to spend all this this morning talking about the first leg of kind of the state of the church and encouraging us to remain sure in our confession because that's really what John 14 is all about. Jesus is having a conversation post-post um, uh, the abandonment of a dear brother, right? And they're wondering, is this thing going to hold together? They're wondering, okay, and then Jesus is talking all this like kind of cloak talk about he's not going to be with them anymore, and he's telling them, I'm going somewhere, and we'll come back and get you, and they're like, okay, what's happening here? And so there's lots of questions surrounding um, this whole thing. What's going to happen once Jesus leaves? Have we wasted our lives for three years following Jesus? You can imagine that's probably something that many of us sometimes face, like we, we come up against difficult times, and they don't really work out the way we had intended them to work out and we we can have those questions from time to time and certainly the disciples had those as well so we've been talking about that a lot the last couple of weeks here in john 13 and now into john 14 but as if you go back and think about the whole conversation it starts back in chapter 13 and you move into roughly through chapter uh, verse 11 of chapter 14 there's really three large questions that that uh that peter and thomas and philip are asking and it's simply this, where are you going, Jesus? So there's a big question, rightful question, where, what, do you, what do you mean where are you going? He's, he, well, we dealt with that last week. Are we going with you, Jesus? And of course, Jesus begins to answer that question. And, but the main question that we're going to land with today is, how do we go with you? Where, how is it possible that we can go with you? What, what, do we, what steps do we need to take for us to, be, to participate with where you're going, Jesus? And it's really verse 6 that Jesus begins, and it really unpacks here for us to answer that question. Because Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And because of that, the gospel changes everything about us, about Grace Church. We can be assured that we have an, a secure eternity. That's what I want to talk about this morning specifically. That if we want to think about the future of Grace Church, it's really going to have to go back to what we started this whole thing off in the first place with, which is the gospel is everything. That the gospel changes everything. That the work and power and, and, and person of Jesus is the, the seminal center of everything Grace Church is about, what every true church should be 
about. And in this conversation Jesus has with Peter, Thomas, and, and Philip, he gives them three foundational truths that will help them carry on after his death and after his resurrection and, of course, after his ascension as they wait, and we all wait now for Jesus to return again. And here, I'm going to go ahead and give them to you right now. He will tell them, one, foundational truth number one will be, you must remember the surety of your confession. Two, you must revel in the supremacy of Jesus. And three, you must rejoice in the covenant between the Father and the Son. That's what we're going to see in these texts this morning. And it's really, honestly, guys, before we can even get to next week and we start casting vision and whatever else, which, by the way, is always a fun, not so fun part of, of pastoral ministry, we have to start here and remain here. This is what everything, like when we first started this church, blistered on every ad we put on Facebook, everything we put on a screen, every bulletin we printed was the gospel changes everything. Jesus changes everything. If you've seen out here on the little table on the hallway, more of Jesus' uh, packet here. It has a little bit of a little bit of detail about what we're going to cover next week, and it has, you know, a, a suggested budget that we hope to be able to to achieve over the course of 2022. But it's really what we're doing this morning, and what we're talking about as we think about these three core foundational things is we're, we're saying those same things that Jesus gave to his disciples are still true of us today. They're still the same things you and I must ground ourselves in. We must constantly remember the surety of our confession. We must constantly revel in the supremacy of Jesus. And we must constantly take great joy in or rejoice in the covenant that the Father and the Son had before time began so that salvation was even possible for you and I. And that's what Jesus will do today. Jesus is going to deepen their confession in a lot of ways. And, and friends, I want to use this as a way press us deeper into our own identity. See, Grace Church is not a building. It's not a building campaign. It's not a budget. It's not money in the bank. It's not anything other than the fact that we are people who have been changed by the gospel, and we want to see that change continue to spread out through our lives and beyond our church, and, and by God's grace, see this church outlive us. Amen. Because I'm, I'm thinking about, I've been doing a lot of reflection on this lately, there are people, you're sitting in a building where there were people who invested time, money, and energy in this facility. That particular church no longer exists. But their faithfulness and their sacrifice ensured that another church like us is going to be able to use this facility for the foreseeable future so that we might also continue to invest in the future and hopefully see this church and whatever investment we make out of this church will last into the future and will outlive each one of us here today. And that's the kind of thing we want to be thinking about because it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. There's going to be a day, and I, I have no plans of going anywhere, <laughs> but there's going to be a day when this, this church outlives me and outlives the current elders and deacons and the members of this church, and, and we hope so. We hope so. That is, that's, not a, that's not us urging to us to say, oh, we want to just become this huge, large conglomerate thing. If the Lord does what he does, he does what he does. I, that's not our first and main primary concern. Our first and primary concern is that we preach Christ and we mature people in Christ for as many days as God will have us do that. Amen. And when this one day, whenever the Lord decides to do this, and he has me and the elders pass that baton on to others, 
we hope that that's exactly what we'll, they'll continue to do once you're gone. And I hope that you have the same idea and same desire as well. So let's talk about these three points for a second this morning, that we must remember the surety of our confession. Jesus says something here that I think is quite remarkable and stunning in verse 4. You know the way where I am going. Now that's, can you imagine the throat punch that had to it, to these fledgling disciples? You know the way where I'm going. And here's Thomas going over here going like counting, like, um, actually Jesus, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I, I don't know where you're going, and I certainly don't know how to get there. So Jesus, I'm not sure exactly what you're seeing that I don't see, but I, I'm not getting it. But it's not true that they didn't know where he was going. It's not true that Thomas didn't know where he was going and, and how to get there. In fact, if we were to consider some other things that have led up to this day, specifically back in Matthew chapter 16, an earlier event, we were find that Jesus is staying there with his disciples and there's all this hub about who Jesus is and Jesus finally just pulls his disciples in and says, hey guys, who do the people say that I am? And of course, they go through all the different possibilities, right? Some say you're a... You're, you're John um, the, the Baptist, some say you're a prophet, whatever, all these different things, right? And then Jesus then turns the question and he looks at them and he goes, well, who do you say that I am? Because that's really what's critical. They're the ones who have spent most of their time with Jesus in his public ministry. And that was most critical because what they understood about who he was, was going to set the stage for what this whole church thing was going to be. And, G- and Peter, what does he say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That confession of who Jesus is was stated quite early on in the whole uh, mission they were going on with Jesus. Now, to be clear, even in saying that, it's really also must be, must be made clear that even then Peter didn't understand the full weight and, breadth and weight of that statement. In fact, there are room people in here who this morning who will say the same thing, right? You know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But even then, sometimes it's, there's still lots of growth that needs to happen in our lives to get the full breadth of that whole confession. But when Jesus says, you know the way there, this is what he has in mind. Like, you already know this. Now you've got to deepen yourself in this. You've got to deepen yourself in the things of Christ. And so Jesus says in no, no vague and uncertain terms here to Peter and to the disciples, I'm building my church off that confession. So you do know where to go, Thomas. You've already made the confession. Peter's already made the confession. You know it. You just got to grow in it. You got to build yourself in it. So this is not a throwaway statement here in John chapter 14, that you know the way. This is not just something provocative Jesus is saying or not something we just need to pass by with a, with, a, with a glance. No, it's, it's something that Jesus wants his disciples, and by nature and by converse, you and I, this morning, to, to continue to press into ourselves. You do know the way, church. Church, as we wait for Jesus right now, we do know the way. The way is Jesus. The way is continuing to press into that central theme, that central truth, that central redemptive promise that is realized fully and finally in Jesus himself. That Jesus is reminding them that where this this confession, Thomas, where this confession 
and whatever breadth or depth that it's proclaimed, that there will be the way in which you will, your, your path home will be illuminated. That's it. Now, that's it, but that's not it. <laughs> right? Because, again, there's so much more to even that statement that you and I will apply onto, which is what Jesus will get to in, in, chapter, in verse 6 here in just a moment. But before we jump into that second point, I, I just want to stop for us and just ask some, maybe some application thoughts for us right now in 2022. Like just reminding ourselves that this is still the same work that we're called to do. That the grade is steep for all of us in this room, and yet, and I would say all of us have much still to learn, but we don't need to diminish even the even the, the, the small ways in which we see Jesus, the, 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 the places in which we have just begun to start, the starting places. Some of the most passionate disciples I've ever met are the ones who literally just confess Christ. And sometimes we make it more complicated and then we become dull, right? And so the, the question for all of us as we press into this, the surety of our confession is that we both understand that it's, it's okay to be where we are, but there's also a, a continual pushing us forward into deeper things of Jesus at every point in the life of the church. That every time a Bible is opened in front of you, that every time a Bible study is taught in Sunday morning Bible study, or every conversation or many of the conversations we have as God's people, they always drive us back to the person and work of Jesus in everything that we do. See, believers across the globe, friends, they're all at different points in their journey to know and understand who Jesus is. And I love the thing I love about our, one of the things I love about our church is, is as, I don't know, theological and reformed as we are in all the different ways in which we articulate that here at Grace Church, I've always loved the fact that we have people who come at different points and it's okay. And we love just watching people start at whatever point they are and then helping them move to the next place. Because that's really what it's all about whether you're a child who's just made a fresh confession of faith, or maybe you're a new believer, or maybe you're just someone who's been in another church for a long time and you've never had someone really teach you these things, we're, we're okay with that. Like, we don't, we don't want a whole room full of, of John Calvins. That would not be helpful to the world. Why? Because we're supposed to make disciples. And so this room has to have people in it of all stripes and all places and all different degrees of the, the journey forward, right? And so children, you are just as much. Your faith right now, as you've come to Christ recently, if you says where you are, like it's an important place for you to be, and we want to encourage you to keep building from that. And mom and dads, that's our job, right? That's our job. There's room for believers in this church at differing points in our faith understanding. And I just want to make sure that we say this, as, as, and we're going to get into being a confessional church here in a second, but I want to make sure we say this plainly, that I, we never want to measure someone's sincerity of their faith based on their doctrinal competency. Does that make sense? Meaning, doctrine matters, and you know it matters here, but man, but sometimes we need to make sure that we are always you know, stating the simple things of Jesus. The simple gospel, right? Now, in saying that, I also want to then turn the corner and say, Jesus said that your, your, your confession is sure. You know the way. Why? The way is who? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want us to remember 
that there's so much more to deepen ourselves in when it comes to Christ. That where Christ is the center of a church's confession, a people, a Christian's confession, that confession is a good confession and it must be embraced and, and thought and pressed into. And that's one of the things I just want to say before we again moving into the second point is that Grace is a confessional church. And what that means is, is that we have, an, we have outlined the confession. The New Hampshire Confession is our primary confession. We lean into the Second London Confession as the kind of earliest Reformed Baptist Confession, but we lean on it. It's not our official one. And why do we do that? Because we're nerdy? Because we like heady theology? No, because confessions protect us. See, confessions are not the Bible. I want to make sure we say that. But that doesn't mean that confessions are any less important to the believer. Like, we don't embrace a no creed but the Bible approach here at Grace Church. In fact, that's not a very good approach to the, to the, to, to the Christian faith. Why? Because the no creed but the Bible still had the early church support the no creed but the Bible, the Bible by its creeds, right? The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, they were there to help articulate the essential things of the faith. And if we don't have those, then we, then, we, then we need some guides as we understand the Bible and what it teaches us and what it has been teaching us throughout history. Same thing with the confessions, the Westminster Confession, Second London Confession, whatever these confessions are that are historic ones. So we, so we are a confessional church and we believe that they are important because if we don't have these kind of guardrails at times, what, what happens? We have things that get twisted. And we have some really terrible twistings in the, the Christian tradition or those that have been lesions to Christian tradition over the course of the last 200 years or 2,000 years for that matter. Our confession, and I would encourage you right now to think about this, is important and each one of us should and has the right responsibility as members of this church, if you're a member here, or a desire to be a member here, to grow in that, because they protect us, because they keep pressing us back into Scripture. A faithful confession presses us back to Scripture. That's what it should do, and that's why we do it here. Good confessions keep the center, sure, and when that happens, guess what happens for us? It ensures our unity for a long time. When you don't have a good confession in place, then we take the Bible and everyone's just arguing about their own little particular minor points of the Bible, and that's not good. But our confession helps us stay on the same track and it helps us lean into the unity that is in Christ, because that's the center of our confession here, Grace. So I say that thinking about a couple of goals that I have for 2022. I want to encourage you, and I want to help me, and I want to help our elders, lead our elders to be better at instructing you in these confessions over the course of this year. And one of the ways I'm going to do that particularly is, is through the podcast that I, I've used. And I'm not trying to do a shameless plug here, but it is something that we've done for you and hope that it can be useful to you. And so we have intend this next week, and you know Ryan, who used to serve here uh, at First Free Methodist Church, me and him, have been, we started a discussion a couple years back on the confessions, and we're going to start doing that again. And hopefully it'll be helpful to you. And we're going to do that actually in the next week. We're going to be recording a few podcasts, a few episodes. But more than that, we want to use this as a basis of our teaching. Our, our gospel, co our gospel co um, project material that we use for our adults on Sunday mornings is very much rooted in our confession. And it helps train us in the essentials of what we believe. And so at the end of the day, those are some of the goals we have. And I would encourage you, one of the things I want to encourage you in is that we don't have that wall of books down in the cafe there for nothing. It's there to encourage the saints. It's there for your edification. 
Some of the books are easy reads and some of the books are going to be a little harder to read. But wherever you are, we would encourage you, walk on down the hallway, pick it up, pick up a copy of something and, and, and grow yourself in the word. We have copies of, our, of the Second London Confession on our shelf down there. We have copies of Baptist Covenantal Theology. We have copies of what it means to be a Baptist church. We have all kinds of things. We have things on how to disciple children. They're all down there for you to use. Now, I say all this to say, and as we transition to this second point, it's still, even though we would say Jesus is the center of our confession, I want to I warn us off something, though, that we just can't slap Jesus on everything and think that that makes everything true. You, do you know what I mean? You, you've seen it. I mean, we probably we joke about it sometimes when someone gives you the Jesus answer in Sunday school, right? That's the Jesus, like Jesus, that's the Sunday school answer. That, that's not what we're, we're saying here. And that's not what Jesus is saying in terms of their confession. No, he has a whole lot more to say about who he is, and that's exactly what verse 6 does. He tells us who Jesus is. He tells us who he is, and he, and he, incur, and he, he in, envisions us growing in that. That's what he says in verse 6, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And so what I want to talk about in the second point is that in order to grow in our confession, it, it requires us to revel in the majesty, the supremacy of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is encouraging us to do here. He says, I am the only way, the truth, and the life. I use the word only because that's what it ends with, right? No one comes to the Father but through me. So I can imply that he is the only way, that he is the only truth, and that he is the only life. Now, one thing I want to make clear about this particular text that might not be always clearly apparent from the very beginning is this, that this is not a linear thought. It's like, these are not just saying Jesus has given us like three points about who he is. Actually, what Jesus is doing here is giving us kind of an elliptical statement, right? I am the way because I'm the truth. Amen. I am the way because I am the life. Amen. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an elliptical statement here. That in order for, I am the way because of who I am and the truth. I manifest all truth and I am the way because I am the fullness of all that is life. So let's think about this for a moment. To say that he is the only way is to kind of think about this in his priestly office. Jesus is uh, the prophet, priest, and king. Yes? The final one. Well, he's, to be the only way means that he is the final and full priest that grants us access to God. Like, that's what a priest would do. Priests were there to grant the people of God access to God through their sacrifices. And what does Jesus do? He comes to be the final priest who is himself the sacrifice. Amen. And so to say he is the only way, this is what we're getting at when we read Acts 4.12. No one, known other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Or that 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. See, what mankind, what you and I need most exclusively is reconciliation with God. Amen. The biggest problem our world has today, and there are all kinds of problems, yes? But the chief problem we have is our alienation from God. And when we're alienated from God, we're alienated from purpose. When we're alienated from God, we're alienated from our identity. When we're alienated from God, we're alienated from any type of true, meaningful interaction with one another. We must be reconciled to God. And, we're, and why are we there? Because of sin and rebellion. 
and we can't reconcile ourselves to God by ourselves. Why? Because we're totally ruined in this sin. And so when Jesus says, I am the only way, he is saying to you, I am the only way in which you can be lifted out of the ruin of your sin. How is it then that Christ is the only way to have our sin debt removed? Let me just suggest a couple of passages, especially some in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament, that tell you exactly why Jesus is the only way. In Christ, our sin is blotted out by the thick cloud. That's Isaiah 43 and 44. In other words, Jesus is this cloud that blots out all of our sin. Go back to what it says in our, what we read earlier, what Delon read in our pastoral prayer time. Come now, let us settle the matter. This is from Isaiah. It says the Lord, through your sin, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow, and though they are red as crimson, they shall be made like wool. That's Jesus. He is the only way. Or Psalm 103, in Christ our sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. Or Micah 7, in Christ our sin is cast in the depths of the sea. Or Colossians 2, in Christ our sin is forgiven. Or even better yet, Hebrews 10, our sin is forgotten. He is the only way. He is the only hope that you and I have this morning as we leave this place in a, in a little bit. He's the only hope we have for the sustaining of this particular fellowship of church, this church here. He's the only hope that we have in whatever that is, in terms of whether we grow, or we plant churches or whatever. He is, and that's the hope we must build everything on. Jesus is truly the only way, and he's the only way because uh, he is the only truth. Now, we said, being the only way, he's the only priest, Right? who gives us access to God, well, to be the only truth, what? He must be the only prophet who comes not only to speak the truth, but is the full embodiment of truth. Jesus is the only way because he's not just telling us the truth but, and pointing us to the truth. No, he is the full manifestation of the truth. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. What does this reveal about and so when Jesus comes to be the full manifestation of truth, he's coming to reveal to us everything that God is. And the reason we need that is because you and I are blind to who everything God is. We're like the, we're like the people in the, in the cave just stumbling about trying to feel our way and trying to figure out who God is. Like the, you know, and that's not our hope, that we'll just figure out God on our own. No, Jesus comes to reveal all that God is. And what does he reveal about who God is? Who the Father is? One, that this Father is not a mystical, deistic, pantheistic God. What does that mean? It means he's not just a force, guys. All right? This is not Star Wars. No, he is personal. He is with us. Emmanuel. He's not only personal, he is holy. God is not amoral. Like he is concerned with the ways of men. And that he will judge the ways of men. And that he is, does, does so because he has established all righteousness. And that all men and women are judged according to that righteousness. Amen. So he's personal. Jesus reveals he's holy. But he also reveals something amazing. He's merciful. That in spite of our sin, those who cry out to the Lord 
may have salvation in his name. That God is love and that he's not deaf to the cries of mankind. And that by doing, by, by when we cry out to him as the one who is the one who is the seed of all mercy, that we will find peace and that we'll find joy and that we'll find goodness and we will find self-control and all the things that are promised blessings of the Christian life. This personal, this holy, this merciful God is perfectly displayed in the Son, Jesus. This is who we are. This is the central message of everything we're about. He is the only way because he is the only truth and because he's the only life. Now you know, hopefully you see the progression here, the only way being the priest, being the only truth, being the prophet, then the only way to life is that through him being the king. How does that happen? Well, think about what kings did and what kings do or what political platforms do, or whatever way you want to reference it. When a king would come in to conquer a land, that king brought promises with him. He brought promises to the people of that land and what those promises would do to benefit the people of that land and why they should submit to his rule. Many, conquer, many kings may have conquered through might and through war, but the most... Um, the, the, the most savvy of kings were the ones who ruled by loving the people that God had put them over. So a king would conquer a land and he brought promises of how that life would be improved under his rule for the people who lived under his rule. The same is true for Jesus. Jesus is the only way because he comes to be our king and he brings us out of the land of death into the what? Land of the living. Whereas everything that you and I can be promised in this particular life will end. It has, it's temporary. There is no lasting hope in this present season of your life. Our bodies will decay. Our cities will crumble. Our political structures and our economies will eventually fade. But the kingdom of God lives forever. And Jesus is the king of that kingdom. See, all other kingdoms have resonance who are only alive to the world in which they live in. And the world we inhabit in is a land of death. But in Christ's kingdom, we are granted real life, eternal life. Consider Luke 15 and the prodigal son as he comes back to his father who's been off into the far land. What does the father say when he sees his son coming back to him? He says, my son was once lost or literally dead. Now he is alive. This is the kingship of Jesus. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king because he is the only way, truth, and life. Amen. And it's only, life is only procured through the kingly office of Jesus. And I would say to you right now that this promise right now isn't just for a future place. We're not just waiting on heaven to come. We're not just waiting on Jesus to return, which indeed we are. But this promise is for us right now. And I don't know that we live in that right now like we should. I certainly can't look at my life and think that I do, but, but this, this present life, this present life that we have in Christ should be an increasing reality in my life as a joyful, true Christian now as I wait for the eternal kingdom that will come when Christ returns. Amen. Friends, 
hopefully you see the application to us as a church. That we connect our confession, that we're, say we're supposed to ground ourselves in, as we said in that first point, to the depths of who Jesus is. There's no, there's no real assurance in our confession if we don't grow in the depths of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished and what he's come to do. But I'd also say that there's no joy in this message of salvation until we get to the third point, which is what? Taking joy in this covenantal relationship that Father and Son. Let me explain what I mean by that. See, Philip asks Jesus the question, hey, if you show us the Father, it'll be enough for us. And Jesus is looking at Philip at this point. I, I can only imagine like, what, what, what he's thinking. Like, but his words kind of tell us what Jesus is thinking. He says, uh, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe in the account of the works themselves. What is Jesus doing here in his response to Philip? Well, he's telling him that everything he is is a reflection of the Father. That there's not one thing that he's accomplished in his earthly ministry and what he was yet to accomplish on the, on the cross and through the resurrection that is not ultimately a place where you and I see the Father. Here's how it works, guys. If you want to see the Father God, you have to look at Jesus. There is no other way around it. That's it. Only in Christ do we see the Father. That Jesus himself comes to do what? The will of the Father. Amen. That Jesus comes to, he says in this passage, to speak only what the Father sends him to speak. That Jesus comes and, he and, and, and God, the Father carries out his work through Jesus. And only through Jesus. What is this pointing us to? Well, it's pointing us to that relationship, the most intimate of relationships between the Father and the Son that was carried out before time began. Let me use a big word for you, pactum salutis. Covenant of redemption. That before any call or invitation to salvation was ever made to you and I, the decision to save was between the Father and the Son. That long before Jesus is come in the flesh to be the way, the truth, and the life, it was rooted and grounded in the fact that this wonderful relationship between him and the Father that was manifested long before even one molecule was created. That was the decision the Father made to save a people for himself, and he would do it only and exclusively through his son, Jesus. Amen. See, salvation that we have in Christ is not first an arrangement between us and God. It is first an arrangement between the Father and the Son. Amen. And where this arrangement is highlighted and rejoiced in as God's people, guess what happens? The full weight of the gospel becomes alive in our own hearts. It becomes the very thing that, 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 that we begin to want to praise God for and we want to celebrate here and we want to make sure every one of our neighbors hears about as we go and live and as good neighbors, as good people who work in the, in the marketplaces that we work in. See, the chief place for joy in the Christian's life, and I would say here at Grace Church, is in the work of redemption that was arranged and carried out between the Father and the Son. 
when you begin to think about this whole work of salvation was something that God did for you long before you ever breathed life, it'll bring you to tears. At least it does for me. Now, we put all that together. Here's where I kind of want to lead us as we prepare for the Lord's table. I said earlier that this is kind of a, this sermon produces a kind of a double purpose for us. I said at the very beginning of our church's history that the gospel changes everything was the, was the theme of everything we did. And it still is. And I hope it always will be. The gospel is everything to Grace Church. Church, the gospel is everything to you. Nothing else. Nothing else. It is the first and it is the last. It is the beginning and it is the end of everything you and I are created to be and pursue. The core and the continuance of our mission and vision at Grace Church is to remember our confession, which revels in the unrivaled supremacy of Jesus, that is grounded in a deep rejoicing in the work of God before the foundations of the earth. Next week as we come together and we move into this next portion of this passage and he tells them what the works that they will do will be greater than his works. Now we're ready to see that. Because we can only do greater works than him if we're grounded in the right message. Grounded in the right truth. Grounded in the right hope. We can't talk about vision at Grace Church. We can't talk about future building needs or church planting needs, which is what we want to see happen over the next few years. We can't talk about future elders and pastors being raised up in our church. Why? Why would we even talk about any of those things if the gospel's not true? No, it's because of everything we've talked about this morning that we have a sure vision, a sure foundation on which to build the vision of Grace Church for many years to come. And guys, I hope and pray that you'll join me in this prayer that you, our efforts now in this generation, this first generation of Grace Church, will do everything we can to make sure that this church lasts till the end, until Jesus returns, whether we're here or not. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, help us now as we...